0: Well, first of all, I want to say Happy Sabbath to everybody. And I hope nice. Seeing, I see some friends and guests here, and I know we have some visitors here. You know, uh, Brooklyn is a very special church. You know why? Because we want to. We want to go to heaven, Amen. and we're seeking truth. We're not looking for compromises. We're not looking for just milk all the time. There are times that we need to search the meat. Right? Amen. We want to go to the kingdom. We want to follow Jesus. And we want to do whatever he says, amen? And uh, I believe that there are some sermons that need to be preached again and again. I believe that there there are certain messages at the very core of Christianity. It's the very core of Brooklyn. It's the very center core of Seventh-day Adventism. And I hope today that I hope to show you what what is the core of the gospel, what is the core of of the Seventh-day His Church, what is the core, what Jesus and the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit wants more than anything in our lives. So before we get started on this, if you don't mind, you can bow your heads, I just want to have a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I again just want to thank you for the privilege of being in your house today on your Holy Sabbath, to be with your holy people. We truly are the remnant people, your remnant people in these last days, Lord. I ask that your Holy Spirit be here. Uh, I ask that you forgive us for any sins that we might have committed this week. or Let there be nothing, Lord, that would keep your presence from being here. May everything that's said and done today not lift me up at all, because everything that's being presented today is found in the Bible, in the spirit of prophecy. And, uh, and that's where we go to find truth. That's where we go to seek your will. And that's what we hope to do. And I pray, Lord, that these truths sink deep into our heart. And it causes us great change in us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. The only one that can make changes in us. And the only one that makes all things possible. Amen. It's interesting that our opening song was the glory song. I didn't choose that. <laughs> and I thank David very much for that song. It's one of my favorite Christian songs. I love that song. I really do. So the sermon title is The Glory of God. Now, what is the glory of God? The Bible actually tells us what the glory of God is. In fact, Moses asked God to show him his glory. And I'm going to quote this and I will give the references because I know we put things on our website and people can't see the references. So I'll read this. So in Exodus chapter 33 verses 21 through 23, this is Moses. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by. And I will put thee in the cleft of a rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face thou shalt not see. So God is going to show Moses two things. He's going to proclaim his name, and he's going to show his what? His glory. because okay, that was our question. What is the glory of God? What is his name? And in Exodus 35, verse 5, this is what God showed. And the Lord descended in a cloud, and he stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord God merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant and goodness and truth. So what is the glory in the name of God? What are these words, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth? These are God's characteristics, amen? It is what God is like. You want to know what God is like? God is merciful. He's gracious, long-suffering. He's full of truth and goodness. If I was to describe one of you here and I described you that way, you know what I'm describing. I'm describing your character. So there's no question what God showed Moses was his character. So these are God's characteristics. And just to back this up, that I'm not just making these things up, I think it's pretty evident from the scriptures that is exactly what God showed Moses. I'm going to show you from the spirit of prophecy that this is correct. The word of God reveals his character. He himself has declared his infinite love and pity. When Moses prayed, show me thy glory, the Lord answered, I will make all my goodness pass before for thee. This is his glory. So what God presented was his character, and his character is his glory. We're also told in Review and Herald, May 26, 1896, what is the character of God? Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. And also, in Testimonies to Ministers, page 49, 499, show me thy glory. What is the glory? The character of God. That is what God, he proclaimed to Moses. So there's no question about it, brothers and sisters, I'm not making this up. From the Bible, clearly God showed Moses his characteristics. So God's char- His name and his glory is his character. And the Spirit of Prophecy says, yes, that's exactly what it is. In fact, we're told in the Spirit of Prophecy that when God handed Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, that what God actually handed him was actually a transcript of his character written in stone. And I read from Christ's Object Lessons, page 315. This law is a transcript of his, meaning God's, own character, and is a standard of all character. So in God's law, we find the exact, if you will, a transcript written down of God's character. And so, well, then, since God's law is a transcript of his character, we should find his character traits in his law, would you agree? And that's exactly what we find. Now, I won't go through every... I will read these, but I won't read every text. But just to get the idea across, whatever God says about what you see there on the left column, you see everything as regards to God. And the words next there are also his character traits, as far as being spiritual. We all saw that already, that he's merciful in his goodness, and he's truthful. And then the opposite, you find in the Bible the exact same thing in God's law. So I'll just read it. God is holy. We're told that in the Bible. His law is holy. God is perfect. We find in the Bible that His law is perfect. God is love. His, His law is love. God is good. His law is good. God is spiritual. His law is spiritual. God is pure. His law is pure. God is just. His law is just. God is righteous. His law is righteous. God is truth. His law is truth. God stands forever. His law stands forever. God is unchangeable. His law is unchangeable. There is no doubt you can see God's characteristics on one column is written perfectly in the law. And that's the reason why in the Bible, when it says if you break one of the commandments, we know the commandments being the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. The Bible tells us if you break the least of one of these, you've broken how many? All of them. Think about it. If you were to kill... Could you call yourself a holy person? How about a perfect person? How about a loving person? How about a good person? How about a spiritual person? How about a just person? How about a righteous person? You see, it's very clear. When you break one of God's laws, you're breaking them all. Because God's law is his character. And the Bible gives us the whole gospel story. And when you talk about the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is nothing more than the plan of salvation that God has given us in his word. That's what the word gospel means. There's a gospel story, a plan of salvation for you and me. And when you, under, when you understand these truths as we, I've just shared with you, you'll understand the whole gospel when you understand that the word glory, his name, and his law are his character. In the beginning, in Genesis 1.27, we read from the God's word that God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And this image that God has created man in in was his character. Man reflected God's image. And to prove this, if we read Psalms chapter 8 verse 4, we read, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou hast visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and has crowned him with what? Glory and honor. So you see, God created man with his character, with his image. We're also told in Youth Instructor, June 2nd, 1898, that God's character was reflected in the character of Adam. There's no question about it. God designed that man, the crowning work of his creation, should express his thought and reveal his what? His glory. That's found in ministry, Ministry of Healing, page 415. So I'm not making these things up. I'm showing you from the Bible, and I'm backing it up with the Spirit of Prophecy. This isn't my message. This is God's message. But when Adam and Eve fell, we're told in Great Controversy, page 467, sin, which is what? Transgression of God's law. And the law is a transcript of his character. So what happened? When Adam and Eve sinned and alienated it from his maker, he no longer reflected divine image. Because why? Once you break one, you've broken them all. Amen? His heart was at war with the principle of God's law. He no longer reflected God's character. He no longer reflected his image anymore. So it should be no surprise that in the plan of salvation, God's purpose in the plan of salvation is to restore his image, his character, his law back into us. It would only make sense, right? That's what you would expect in the plan of salvation. In fact, that's exactly what we're told in Hebrews 10 and verse 16, the Bible reads, This is the covenant or the deal or the, or the contract that I will make with them after those, after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. So there's no question, the guy wants to put his law, he wants to rewrite his character upon us in which we lost. The spirit of prophecy tells us this in Christ's object lessons, page 388. He, God, seeks to develop in us the attributes of his character, compassion, tenderness, and love. Again, there's no question. God wants to restore these attributes, his lovely character, into you and me. This is the plan of salvation, okay? And here's an amazing statement found in the Spirit of Prophecy. This is found in Christ's Object Lessons, page 57. We're told that at the very outset, I just want to change that a little bit, another word for outset would be the beginning, okay? At the very beginning or outset of the Christian life, every believer should be taught his foundation principles. I want to stop there just for a minute. Whenever you build a house, you build it upon a foundation. And that foundation is made of concrete, in old days it was built upon stone. And so you always start with a, this building that we're in today. It was built, started with a foundation. The very beginning of this building was upon a firm foundation. And we're told at the very beginning of the Christian life, every believer should be taught its foundation principles, which are what? He is not, he is not merely to be saved by Christ's sacrifice. He is to make the life of Christ his life and the character of Christ his what? His character. Amen? Amen. That is the beginning principle. Every new believer who comes to Christ needs to be taught this foundation principle. That God wants a complete restoration. He wants to bring us back fully into his image. In fact, here's a very powerful statement and found in this day with God, page 81. The gospel, which is what? The plan of salvation. The gospel is a system of practical truth. Destined to work great change in human character. If it does not work, the transformation in the life, in the habits, in the practice, it is no no truth to those who claim to believe it. Man must be sanctified. Now, sanctified means to be made holy. It means to be made pure. It means to be made righteous. It means to God wants to bring those attributes of his character back into us. Man must be sanctified through the truth, and unless the truth of God shall lift man up out of his depravity, his intemperate and profligate habits, and make him reflect the image of God, he is what? He is lost. Man, that's a powerful statement, would you say? It just gives you an idea how important this subject is, and that's why this subject is so worthy to be talked about again and again a few times a year, amen? We need not forget this. This is a very, very important subject. It's very important to God in the plan of salvation. In fact, we're told in Daughters of God, page 169, that the perfection of Christian character is to be the aim, the purpose of our life. And no excuse will be accepted of God as a reason for not meeting the divine standard. That is the purpose of our life. The plan of salvation and everything that God is doing for us, is to restore his image back into us. And some will say, and there's no doubt many I've heard Adventists say this, that brother Ron, you can never be a perfect person in this life. never. you cannot do it. So what's going to happen, and you see when God comes back, he's going to change us in the quick in a twinkling of an eye, and on that day we'll be perfect. Have you ever heard anybody say those things? I've heard people say those things. Now if that's true, then okay, then that's the way it is. But what if you're wrong? What if that is not God's plan? Then you're deceiving yourself. So let's go to the Spirit of Prophecy. Let's go and see what the Lord has to say to His remnant church on this subject. This is found in Adventist Home, page 319. Many are deceiving themselves by thinking that the character will be transformed at the coming of Christ. But there will be no conversion of heart at His appearing. The defects of character must here be repented of. And through the grace of Christ, we must overcome them while probation shall last. This is the place for the fitting up of the family above. So when does it happen? When Jesus comes or before? Before, right? I'm going to show you another statement in Adventist Home, page 16. And I quote, The traits of character you cherish in life will not be changed by death or by the resurrection. You will come up from the grave with the same disposition you manifest in your home and society. Jesus does not change the character of this coming. The work of transformation must be done when? Now. Our daily lives are determining our destiny. These are some pretty heavy stuff, wouldn't you say? This is pretty important to understand we as Christians, the foundation, the very beginning of uh, the foundation of our Christianity. We need to understand the gospel, and we need to understand what God is working with us trying to do. So now that we understand the importance of having a godly character, how does one obtain a godly character? It makes no good for me to tell you how important it is to receive a godly character, and the importance of unless you have it, you are a loss. To share all those texts would be a very cruel thing if we don't go into, well, then how does God change our character, amen? And so since we know this is a salvation issue, we should pay very closely and see what we can learn from God's word. We're told this in Signs of Time, September 3rd, 1902, that all righteous attributes of character dwell in God as a perfect, harmonious whole. And everyone who receives Christ as his personal savior is privileged to possess these attributes. This is the science of holiness. So in Christ embodies all the beautiful characteristics of God, and anybody who receives Christ is, we're told, is, um, is privileged to possess these same attributes that Christ has. In fact, we're told this is faith I live by, page 44, that he, making about Jesus, he, Jesus, bids us by faith in him attain to the glory of the character of God. So how do we obtain Christ's character? Through what? Through faith. That's right. In fact, it's important that we understand that there's nothing that we can do of ourselves to change our character. And that's an important truth that we, we, if you don't know it, I'm sure you do know it, but it's amazing how many times we know it, but we'll still go out and try regardless, this, despite this. And just to read a text that we've already read in Hebrews ten sixteen, just to emphasize this, I want to show this. This is a covenant that I will make with them after those deaths, says the Lord. He said, I will put my walls in their hearts. And in their my, minds, will I write them? So who does it? God, right? There's nothing that we can do. So as we can see, God can, uh, can implant and write his glory, his character, his law, his name in our hearts and minds. We can do nothing. Again, it's by faith. Faith in Jesus. So then, the question must naturally arise. If we're going to think this out logically, we must ask ourselves, so then all we have to do is just to believe by faith to receive God's character? It's actually a good question. And it's very interesting, and I'm sure you've seen it played out in not only Adventism, but maybe even some other Christian denominations as well. That this debate right here, do we only receive it by faith and just accepting what Jesus is going to do? And that's it. There's no part for us to play in this. Is that true? And I find that It's very interesting because the true answer really isn't yes or no. It's really yes and no. It's not one or the other. You can argue both sides of it, but the truth of it, both of it have a relevance of truth. And it's important that we understand this. It's imperative that we understand this. So yes, we must believe that Jesus took our death upon the cross. He died for our sins in order to give us his spotless character in place of our own sinful character. But no, we need to do more than just believe, as the Bible the Spirit of Prophecy, I will share that with you. When we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, Jesus gives us his sinless life and perfect character. He takes our sins upon him and dies our death for us, right? Is that true? So, in justification, what justification is, is that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior... He takes away your sins, and and when God sees you now, He sees who? He sees Jesus. He sees a perfect man, a spotless character. That's what God sees. This is called justification. And so you stand before God just as if you had never sinned. Amen? But does it end there? The answer is no. And the reason why... It's no also because in justification, justification deals with the sins that you've committed. Right? They deal with the sins that you've committed. And you stand before God just as if you never sinned. But you know what justification doesn't do? It doesn't change your heart. The character isn't written upon your heart's and mind in justification. If it was true, that means the day that we accept Jesus Christ, we should automatically become perfect. Not just somebody standing in front of me hiding my imperfections, right? Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. Let me say that again. In justification, I'm going to get into sanctification. I hope maybe that clarifies. In justification, God deals with your sins that you've already committed, okay? And when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you now stand before God as if you never sinned because what? Your sins were taken away. Jesus died, your penalty on the cross. But in that justification process, it did nothing to change your heart and mind. If that was the case, the day you accepted Christ, you should now live a perfect life. Your law should now be written upon your heart and mind. Did that happen? Are you still struggling? Are you still struggling? Okay, then. So just accepting Christ didn't solve everything in this plan of salvation in the gospel. And that's the reason why we need something called justification. I'm sorry, sanctification. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. We need sanctification. And sanctification, it is the process where God now changes our hearts. Okay? And I want you to think about something. You all know the story in Genesis when after man sinned, he was barred from the tree of life. Now, how did man live forever in the beginning? He had to partake of what? The tree of life, Right. And when man sinned, he was now barred from the tree of life why? Because God didn't want a man who is a sinner to live forever. Amen. And we know that in the book of Revelations that the saved will partake of the tree of life again. You find this in the book of Revelation. Do you think God is now going to let a sinner partake of the tree of life? Absolutely not. So you can see from the time that man there has to be a change, brothers and sisters. There has to be a change in us. God's law literally needs to be written upon our hearts and minds. We need to reflect God's character. We need to take upon his name and his glory. And that's why Jesus told Nicodemus... Now, Nicodemus was a man who had already accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he came to Jesus one night, and Jesus said, Unless you are born again which is changed, you shall in no wise, meaning no way, you shall no way enter the kingdom of God. So here's a man who had accepted Christ. But Jesus says, listen, it's not enough just to accept me, Nicodemus. You need to be changed. In fact, you need to be born again. Now, what does the Bible say? What is the definition of a born-again person? The Bible tells us exactly what a born-again person is like. And it's found in 1 John 3, 9. And the Bible says that any man born of God does not commit what? Sin. (laughs) And Jesus said, unless you are born again, you shall in no wise end. So what Jesus said, listen, unless you stop sinning, right? As a born again person, does he still sin or does he no longer sin? He no longer sins, right? So again, God, and what is sin? Transgression of the law. What is God's law? Transcript of his character. Well, God is saying to his Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be changed. And you need to be changed into my character if you just think about all the things that we've studied so far. And that is sanctification. The sanctification process, that's where God is now going to work to make change in us. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Does he still act like the old man? No, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So here's the real question that we should be asking. Well, how does God make us born again? How does God sanctify us, right? If sanctification does not happen to us in justification, then we need to understand how how do we become sanctified with God? So in justification, all one has to do is believe to receive by faith. Would you agree with that statement? I didn't hear anything. In justification, all one has to do is believe to receive by faith. Is that true? Amen. Yeah, but in sanctification, Jesus thought that sanctification, sanctification, to be made holy, to be made perfect, to restore man back to his image, comes to us still through God as well and by faith, but also as we cooperate with God. And I'm going to show you this in the spirit of prophecy. In Acts of the Apostles, page 531, and I quote, God calls upon us to reach the standard of perfection and places before us the example of Christ's character in his humanity, perfected. How? By a life of constant resistance of evil, the Savior showed that through what? Cooperation with divinity, with God, human beings may in this life attain to what? Perfection of character. So then how does sanctification take place? It's through cooperation with God, right? As we cooperate with God, God can now change us. In fact, the Spirit of Prophecy also tells us in Acts of Apostles, page 483, there is to be cooperation between God and the repentant sinner. This is necessary for the formation of right principles in the character. We're also told in Review and Hero, June 11, 1901, if we are faithful in doing our part, and what's our part? In cooperating with Him, God will work through us to do his good pleasure of his will, But he cannot, brothers and sisters, he cannot work through us if we make no effort. What's our part? Our part is to put away sin, seek with determination for the perfection of character, and listen to this. And as we thus work, God cooperates with us. Does that make sense? So in justification, we believe and receive by faith. In sanctification, it still takes faith in God to make the change in us, but God expects us to do something. He expects us to make some effort, and this effort is cooperation. So then, do we cooperate with God and put away of sin and i sequ- Oh, I'm sorry, that's what I'm just going to requote that. I want to go into something a little bit about character now. Because I think if we have a little better understanding, a little in depth understanding of what character is, it'll help us cooperate with God. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us about character. That thoughts and feelings combined make up moral character. That's found in Heavenly Places 164. So thoughts and feelings, your thoughts and feelings, make up your character. We're also told this, I love this statement, please never forget this statement, because we're even told, never forget. In Upper Look, page 89, we're told, never forget that thoughts work out actions, Repeated actions form habit, and habits form your character. What you repeatedly think and feel and do repeatedly is what you are in character. In fact, between those two statements, if you think about it, it makes logical sense. Thoughts, both good or bad, will cause you to have feelings. We all know that, right? Happy thoughts make us feel happy. Sad thoughts make us feel sad. Alright, where do I go here? I got messed up. One second. Okay, there you go. So, good or bad thoughts cause us to have feelings. Cause us to, uh, feelings cause us to have actions, right? Actions repeated cause us to form a habit and habits form our character. So, in this, we can see how character is formed. Right? Can you see it? Where, how does character start? Our thoughts, right? So, now that we understand, we can understand how to cooperate with God. For example, if character begins with our thoughts, then what we do with a corrupt thought is very important. Would you agree? Because that's the entering door. And it's not a thought that's your character. Now, thoughts and feelings combined make up moral character. But it's what you repeatedly do. It's not a one-time thought or an occasional bad thought or an occasional good thought. And I could have showed you a spirit of prophecy statement that says that 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 doesn't form your character. It's what you habitually do. The Bible tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so what is it? So is he, amen? And that's what we just found in the Spirit of Prophecy. And the Bible says, yes. You see how the Bible the Spirit of Prophecy go hand in hand? I so love the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. I hope you do too. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4.8, and I want you to pay attention to this, all the, high, all the words in yellow, notice that they're characteristics. Words finally brethren we're told whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are good report if there be any virtue if there be any praise do what think on these things so the Bible's very clearly listen guys this is God talking to us guys saying listen you need to think good thoughts you know you need to think on things as pure. You know, because you are what you think. Now, is it by the action of right thinking that changes our character? No, it's not, is it? Who changes our character? God, right? right. Who writes his law upon our hearts and minds? We do? No. no, God does. Can a leper change his thoughts? No more than you can who are accustomed to do evil. It is God who does it. But you understand, in thinking right thoughts, is how we cooperate with God. Does that make sense? That's the difference. But a lot of us, unfortunately, we will put faith in what we do, and we think, therefore, we should be. And it doesn't work that way. We need to understand that we need to learn how to cooperate with God so that He can change us. It is only through God that our thoughts can be controlled or changed, and this is where faith comes in. I'm going to read this statement. in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. For the weapons are of our warfare, our warfare, our war, sorry, warfare, warfare, <laughs> are not carnal. Don't get gray hair, I'm telling you, it's bad. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination and every high thing that has sold itself against the knowledge of God, and to bring it into captivity every what? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. So how does it happen? Through God. Amen? In fact, we're told in Steps of Christ, page forty-seven, that you cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. We're also told in Councils of Parents, Teachers, and Students, page three two three, that Christ alone can direct the thoughts aright. But you still must put forth effort. In putting forth effort, you show God that you are cooperating with Him. Put no faith in doing, trying to have right thoughts. Let me give you a Bible example of this. Jesus gave sight to a blind man, okay? And you're familiar with this story. It's found in John verses 6, John 9, verses 6 and 7. You know the story well. There was a blind man, and Jesus took some mud, and he spit on it, and he put, made some mud out of it, and he put it on the blind man's eyes. And he told him to go what? He told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. right? And the Bible tells us in John 9, 7 that he obeyed, And this obedience was cooperation. He went his way there for a washing. He came seeing again. Let me ask you the question. Was it the washing of his eyes in the pool of salam that made him see again? No. No, right? Who made him see again? God, right? So you can see what this man did. He was cooperating with God. And how was he cooperating with God? He was by doing what he said. When the, it, it, when the armies of Israel marched around Jericho and they were told to march around the city and finally at the last hand march around seven times and blow the trumpet and make a loud shout and the walls came down. Let me ask you a question. Was it the marching around the city, the shouting and the blowing of the trumpets that brought the walls down? No. Who brought the walls down? God did. What were they showing? They were showing that they had faith in God, that God would do what he said, and all they had to do was cooperate with God. They put no faith in their marching. They put no faith in their blowing of the trumpets. They knew that if I do what God says, he will do what he said. And that's what we need to learn in regards to character perfection. We need to do what God says, because in doing so, we show that we cooperate with God. And when God sees we're cooperating with him, and not putting faith in washing our eyes out, trying to put our have right thoughts, but when God sees that you're trying to be obedient, and your faith is in Him, so sanctification is by faith too. You see that? In justification, you have faith. and sanctification, you have faith. All glory goes to God both ways, but God can't change you at all if you make no effort. Amen? Now let me ask you another question. Do you think God would have gave this man his sight back if he didn't go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam? No. Absolutely not. Do you think God would have the, brought the walls down in Jericho if they didn't march around the city and blow the trumpet? Do you think God would have gave the man pick up your mattress and walk if he chose not to pick up the mattress? Do you see that? It's, the, it's all over the Bible that what we need to do is cooperate. The bad thing is a lot of people put faith in what they do and therefore they think, look, I did this. Now, God, you got to do that. It doesn't work that way. We got to we got to get our heads straight that we can do nothing. We can't change our hearts. We can't write His law upon our heart. Only God can do that. But we can cooperate with Him. Amen. Amen. I want you to see something. This is found in James chapter two and verse twenty-two in regards to Abraham. You know the story of Abraham. How he offered his son. He obeyed God. He went and did what God said. And the Bible tells us this, that now you see how Abraham's faith and deeds work together. He proves his faith was real by what he did. So when we are obedient to God, all we're demonstrating that we believe our faith in God is real. That's what it is. And that's why James 2.18 says, I will show thee my faith by my works, by what I do. Now, it's imperative that you understand that sanctification takes place in the heart and mind. It is through faith in Christ alone, Jesus sanctifies you as you show faith in him by cooperating. We're told in Jude 1.24, Unto him, Jesus Christ, who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So who is able to keep you from falling? Jesus, right? It's not even what you're doing in cooperating. By trying to think right thoughts doesn't perfect your character. Thinking right thoughts makes no change in you because you really can't control your thoughts. It is Jesus. Again, I'm trying to emphasize it is only cooperating with God so he can make the change. Many make the mistake of making your faith your Savior based on what you do. And this is what we're told in Desire of Ages, page 175. Through faith we receive the grace of God. But faith is not our Savior. It earns nothing. It is merely, if you will, it is the hand by which we lay hold upon Christ and appropriate his merit, the remedy of sin. Amen? Amen. So my emphasis don't make faith your Savior. That's all I'm trying to say. Never trust self. Now I want to talk about something. I, I noticed that in my life, and I think that you agree, that there there are like three types of sins, if I can say this, that basically come to us. For example, if I was to enter a room full of people smoking cigars and they go, "Here, Ron, why don't you have a cigar?" You know what? I have no attraction to a cigar. I think it stinks, personally. Okay, there is no responding cord in my heart for a cigar, and it's very easy for me to say, "No, no, thanks." Through the mere exercise of my will, and by the grace of God I say that, by the grace of God I can walk away, no problem. But I also noticed in my life there were other kinds of sins or things that respond to my heart. There was a time I rarely ever go to the art museum in Cleveland, I think I've been to it maybe three times my entire life, and I'm 60 years old. But the last time I went, I'll never forget, and you go to the art museum, and man, these paintings are beautiful, Right? Some of the paintings are so... It's like, I don't know how they even did this back in the 17 and 1800s. They look like pictures. It's amazing what they can do. And I remember walking in one of those rooms, there's all these beautiful pictures, but there was one picture, and this lady looked like, she looked like a Thanksgiving turkey all laid out. She didn't have a stitch of clothes on. And I won't lie to you. In my heart, in my heart, I wanted to look, but it, it took a little bit more effort to look away. You understand what I'm saying? There was a responding core. But I was still able, by the grace of God, to say, nope, I'm not going to look at this, and I walk right into the next room. Okay? Amen? Amen? But you know what? I find that there's a third type of sin. A third type of temptation. And this temptation that you have, because you have opened the door repeatedly in your life, And you have formed habits. And these habits have formed your character. And I notice that in life that these sins, they got such a hold on you. You try not to think about them, but you can't. They keep coming in. You try not to do them or say them or whatever. And it just seems like you can't get victory over this type of sin. And that's because it's become such a part of you because you've repeatedly opened the door. It has now become a part of your character. Smoking uh, cigars never became a part of my character. Looking at pictures like that in art museum never became a part of my character. But there are some sins that are so gripping they have such a hold on you that you just can't let go. And you know what I'm talking about. And I know many of you are suffering from the same thing here today. Some people, it's alcohol. Some people are addicted to alcohol. And it has such a grip on them that they can't let go. They just, No matter what they do, they just can't let go. Some people are addicted to drugs or opioids. And they started with one pill, and then it was another pill. And they kept opening the door, until now it's got a hold on them. You see, you're addicted. It's become a, a who you are now. And you try to let go, but you can't. Some people are addicted to pornography. And it's amazing, I saw some statistic. I forget the the pornography addiction in this country and other countries is mind blowing because it's so accessible to the computers. And as little kids are watching these things, it's becoming a part of them. And they become addicted to such a point that it's got such a hold on them that they can't set themselves free. They try not to. They try not to think about it. They might go a week or two, whatever, but they're back at it. You know what I'm talking about. What do you do with this kind of a sin? And I want to share something with you. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us what to do. I want to read this. Take this in light in everything that I share with you. This is found in Steps to Christ, page 47. Many are inquiring, how am I to make... The surrender of myself to God. You desire to give yourself to Him, don't you? But you are weak in moral power. You're in slavery to doubt and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Things that you have repeatedly done again and again. You're in slavery to them and they've got a control on you. You've promised to give them up. But your promises and resolutions, resolutions are like ropes of sand. Does it work? You can make all the promises you want. Does it matter? You keep returning back. You cannot control your thoughts, your, your, thoughts, your impulses, your affections. You cannot change your heart. You know this. You cannot of yourself give God its affection and of yourself. But you can do this. You can choose to serve Him. This is what you can do if you're one of those people that I just talked about. You can give Him your will. He will then work in you to will and do according to His good pleasure. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon Him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with Him. So what you need to do is surrender your will. With this kind of sin, you need to literally go to God and say, God, let's say it's opioid addiction. You say, Lord, I can't get the victory over this.'" I know that you can give me the victory over this. I can't change my heart. I can't write your beautiful character upon my heart. But I know that you can. And you said that all I have to do is just give it to you. So I give you the opioid addiction, okay? I'm giving it to you. And if you believe it by faith, God will take it from you. And you will experience the power of God's power in your life. And you will realize that we serve a living God, not a dead God. And that God will do everything that He said He will do if you will just cooperate with Him and do what He said. So if you have an addiction in these things, you need to just surrender to God. Just give it to Him. Say, listen, just admit it. There's nothing I can do. That's totally leaning upon Christ. And when Christ sees that you do this, He will take that. But now you also need to cooperate with Him. That means you still must now still try to have right thoughts. But knowing that trying to have right thoughts of themselves isn't going to change. thats isn't going to, It's not because of anything you do. Do you understand that? You're only cooperating with God. So I encourage you that if you're addicted to something, that you have a sin that you want to have victory. Remember how important it is to have God's character. Remember what we shared with you today, both biblically and the spirit of prophecy. I'm not making these things up. This is a salvation issue. If you're addicted to something, some kind of a sin, God is telling you how to have victory over it. And all you need to have is exercise a little bit of faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. That's mountains of sin. Amen? Amen. Listen to this. I just want to read that again. Steps to Christ, page 47. That if you give him your will, that God, that he will then work in you to will and do according to his good pleasure. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of who? Christ. Uh, who's, who's got control of you now? Not to sin no more because you gave him your will. You gave that to Christ. Your affections will now be centered upon him. Your thoughts will now, in which were not, are now in harmony with them. And I can tell you that in my own life, I've had issues where Sin has had such a grip on my life. And I know I'm not alone. I know many of you, if not all of you, have had those. And I pray that you don't. But I will tell you, if you surrender your will, God will do exactly what he says. And he will set you free. And he can set you free today. Today. But you still must cooperate with God. Now, I want you to... If, we need to keep in mind that we live in probationary time, Right? There is only a small, a lot amount of time that we have here on this earth. Look around, brothers and sisters. Many brothers and sisters who are here are no longer here. We know, we know not if tomorrow we'll still be here. So this is not something we should put off. This probationary time on earth is for God, who wants to reinstitute. His image, His character, His name back into our lives. And we need to cooperate with Him in this. It should be the most important thing. It should be the purpose of your life, the aim. It should be the foundation of your Christianity. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us in Signs of Time, August 29th, 1892. Now is the day of probation, and we are now to perfect characters who will stand the judgment. Christ comes, and those who are alive and remain upon the earth will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, if... Their characters are blameless and pure. Now is the time when we can have our defects removed, our hard calling, 165. Now it is the time. Don't wait until Jesus comes and think it's going to be some miraculous change. It has to happen now, right now, in this life that you're living in. Now is the time while the four angels are holding back the four winds to make your calling and election sure. And I appeal to you and make your calling. Make a decision on this. Don't delay now is the time to receive grace and strength and power to combine with our human efforts that we can form characters for everlasting life. Heavenly Pages, page 250. Let no one say, now listen, I want this, don't take this home with you. Let no one say I cannot remedy my defects of character. If you come to this decision, you will certainly fail of obtaining everlasting life. The impossibility lies in your own what? Will, Remember? Surrender your will. If you will not, then you cannot overcome. Christ's Object Lessons, page 331. The very image of God is to be reproduced in humanity. The honor of God, the honor of Christ is involved in the perfection of character of his people. It is for this reason that Jesus came. Overcome, even as I what? Even as I overcame. That's what Jesus said. Christ is waiting with longing desire. For the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. Christ's office Lessons, page 69. What is Jesus waiting for then? He's waiting for us, right? To reflect his character. So he can come back and take a people. And bring them to the tree of life and say, go ahead and partake. You're safe to partake of the tree of life again. The apostle Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2.14... Whereunto he, meaning God, called you by our gospel, that's the plan of salvation, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. We need to receive his glory, his character, once again. We're told in Amazing Grace, page 246, probation was granted to restore and manage the image of his maker to bring him back to perfection in which he was created. Ephesians tells us the same thing, 4.3. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the kind of people, men, and women that we need to be. It's what makes up the 144,000. Revelation 14.1. And I looked and lo, and a lamb stood upon Mount Zion. And with him a 144,000, having his father's what? Name. Written in their character. What what did they have? They had his character. They reflected his character. We're told in Review and Herald November 30th, 1897, that the Holy Spirit ever abides with him who is seeking for perfection of Christian character. Would you like the Holy Spirit to ever abide with you? Let this be your aim from this day forward. Let us not forget it. Will I ever in this life claim to be able to say that I am perfect? Absolutely not. The answer to this is no. We will never in this life be able to claim character perfection. Okay, That doesn't mean that you can't be perfect. We've already learned that you can be perfect. And you can be perfect through Christ. It's just you're never going to be able to say that. I'm going to give you a Bible proof of that. In Job one, 1 and Job 9.20 and 21, the Bible says there was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was what? Perfect and upright, and one who feared God and eschewed evil. If I justify myself, Job said, my own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me what? Perverse. Now listen to this. Though I were perfect, yet I would not know my own soul. I would despise my life. So can we ever in this life ever feel like or claim to be perfect? You're never going to feel that way. In fact, the closer you come to Christ... And the more you see his beauty and his perfection of character, the less you're going to ever feel like exalting yourself. Sanctification, we're told, in Acts of the Apostles, page 560 and 561, I'm almost done. Sanctification, to be made holy, to be made righteous, to take upon his name, to take upon his character, is not the work of a moment, an hour, or a day, but of a lifetime. So long as life shall last, there will be no stopping place, no point which we can't reach and say, "I have fully attained." Okay, the sanctification. Sanctification is a result of lifelong obedience. Now I've heard this statement quoted so misquoted, brother. So it takes a whole lifetime to reach perfection. Now that's not what Ellen White says. What we're told right here that sanctification is a result of lifelong obedience. We must die daily. This is something that. We're not looking for something in the distant future to reach. No, we need to be there today, and we need to live daily in this. Paul says, I die daily. <clears throat> the nearer we come to Jesus, the more clearly we shall discern the purity of his character. The more clearly shall we see the exceeding sinfulness of sin, and the less shall we feel like exalting ourselves. As Acts Apostles, page 556. You know, even Ellen White never claimed perfection of character. In Philippians 3.12, we're told, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, I'm striving for it, if that I may apprehend. Apprehend what? To be perfect. In Daughters of God, page 272, we're told, Ellen White said this, I do not claim infallibility or even perfection of Christian character. Even Ellen White never claimed that. It says, we have no time now to spend in self-indulgence. If we are connected with God, we shall humble our hearts before him and be very zealous in the perfection of Christian character, okay? I'm going to close with this last statement. This was the Apostle Paul, who went to teach the gospel to the Israelites and to, the, to everybody and to the Gentile. Paul tells us in Hebrews 6, one, let us go on unto perfection. Amen. If you would like to pray with me, you can. I'm going to I have a prayer. and I have a prayer for everybody and, and myself as well. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for teaching us the very core, the very foundation, what your plan and the plan of salvation is. Let us be obedient people, who have so many of your truths, not miss the mark on the greatest plan of salvation, your restoration of your image back into us. Let this now be the purpose of our life. Let us not put any faith in the flesh, or anything that we do, but let us cooperate with you by faith, trusting you. And if there be anybody here, Lord, if there be anybody here, Lord, I ask, in your hearts, don't even raise your hand, but in your hearts, if there's a in your life that got such a grip on you and you want freedom and you're ashamed of your life and the things that you've done. Jesus Christ right now is willing to set you free if you'll just give it to him. Just say I give you the alcohol, I give you the pornography, I give you the opioid addiction, I give you my anger addiction, I give you my theft addiction. Whatever it is, Jesus is willing to set you free if you're about willing to give it to them and say, Lord, I surrender you this. I surrender this to you. I surrender you my will to you on this. And I believe by faith that you will take this and you will cast down the imagination and every thought, um, thought, Lord. And you will write your law upon my heart if I will cooperate with you. But I put no faith in my cooperation. I put no faith in my faith. I only put total trust and faith in you. And I know, believe, because of the spirit of prophecy in the Bible, this is not my message, this is your message. This was merely extracted from your word. I believe that you will do everything that you said that you will do if we but cooperate with you. And I ask this in the power of Jesus Christ, who I know in my own life you have set me free from things. And I know that you can set other people free. Let us not forget we live in probationary times. Time is short. Jesus is soon to come. Let us get ready and let us get ready now. So when Jesus comes, he can take us to the kingdom and we can be worshiping him every Sabbath and every day and partake of the tree of life. Let that be our goal. There is nothing in this life worth hanging on to. Money, possession, houses, nothing. This should be what we seek more than anything, Lord is to be obedient to you so you can save us, you can restore us back into your image. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who can make all things possible, Lord, if we just believe and cooperate. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.